All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Let's all stand together. I want to invite you to turn around and say hello to somebody that you were not talking to before now. Pray. 
seated for a while. Actually, just kidding. Let's stand back up together. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Let's all stand together. It's good exercise, you yes, guys. Yeah. Good for those knee bends. <laughs> good morning, everyone. Let's do the call to worship together. You'll see on the screen where it um, has different um, parts, as we've been doing. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with cries of joy. <laughs> that was a little rowdy. <laughs> Sing praises to God. Sing praises in God's honor. Praise the Lord, all people. Praise God's everlasting name. Amen. Well done. All right. You may be seated now. <laughs> it's now time for uh, to, us to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. And this is always a special time, but it's extra special today. And that's because our children have recently had a lesson on communion and the meaning and understanding of it. So we're doing this early in the service today so they can observe using their new understanding. And we hope some may, be, some may participate as well, some for the first time. Like our other sacrament, baptism, communion is more, um, it's less about our words and more about our senses. We, we can see and smell and taste and just feel... Um, the, the elements, and it's, um, it's a visceral body experience. And that's, I think, what sacraments are. And above all, it's a joyful feast of the people of God. Joyful because we are forgiven, we're accepted, we're redeemed, and we are delighted in by the mighty and loving God whose praises we are singing this morning. So enjoy this feast. Enjoy the smell of the bread, the taste of the grapes, and enjoy the sight of God's people coming forward. So this morning we will be coming forward to take communion, and there will be three stations up front, 
And each of the stations will have the bread and the cup, all gluten-free bread. And if coming forward would be difficult for you, we'll have at a certain point, one of the pairs will wander around and look for people with, if you raise your hand when you see um, one of the, some of the servers walking around, and they will bring communion to you. So once our servers are in place, those of you who are in the front rows can start and by coming forward down the center aisle, and the rest of you follow also by coming through the center aisle. As you approach the front, feel free to go to any station. All the bread is gluten-free. I already said that. Just take a piece of bread from the first person, and they are going to be wearing gloves. We haven't done this in, in a while because of COVID, but our servers will be wearing gloves, and they'll hand you a piece of bread, and so you receive that from them, and the other person will hand you a cup. And if you are able, would you take the elements back to your seat with you, and then we can all... Um, you know, eat together when everyone has been served. Now, if you would prefer for any reason not to join in the communion meal, please feel free to either just stay in your seat without embarrassment, please. I know it's just, you just have to do that if you're not ready. But the other option is that you may come forward to receive a blessing. Now, coming forward to receive a blessing is new for our church. Um, Some of you have maybe encountered it already in, in other churches, um, but uh, so let me say a few words about how that will be done. Just join, if you, this is what you'd like to do, uh, children or adults, just join the line of people coming forward, and when you approach the servers, simply put your hands across your chest like this, and they will know that's the signal that they will uh, give you a blessing instead of the communion elements. Um, the blessing itself is the one from Uh, Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you, and so on. So the servers that I have uh, recruited already, would you come forward and just take a station? And um, I'm probably going to need a few extra people, because I didn't quite get all, let's see, how many do we have? We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I just need one more server. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Good. All right. There are special instructions for you about how to do the blessing. And there are two pairs of gloves. One is small and one is large. (laughs) Should have warned you earlier. (laughs) Okay. I am going to serve with you. Okay. And so we've got two over there, two here. And I would love to have a, um, a roaming, you know, a roving, but I don't have another basket of bread. So we can maybe make one up using the tray. Do you guys want to be the, the roving team? Great. All right. So we'll, we'll um, have this team do, walk, look, just walk around and look for you to see if you have your hand raised. Okay. Everything's just a little bit new today. So as people of the covenant, we believe that the Lord's Supper is for all who love Jesus and have decided to follow them, follow him. You don't need to be a member or even a regular attender of this church. Now, if you haven't figured out what you believe, um, we want you to welcome you right where you are, and we encourage you to come forward for a blessing. Now, our smallest hillsiders, and I hope there are some of them here, that's you kids, are invited to approach with their families to receive either communion, if you're ready, or a blessing. It's up to you and your family. So, and now we are ready.
and I'm going to come down. Great. Okay. Just taking a deep breath here. Yeah, a little moment of quiet would be good, huh? The Lord Jesus, on the night when he knew he would be betrayed and handed over to be killed, he celebrated the Passover meal. That word has always stuck with me. He celebrated the Passover meal with his friends. And it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he offered it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this, and whenever you do, do it in remembrance of me. Let's ask God's blessing on this sacramental meal. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sacrificing your one and only Son that we might be reconciled to you. We ask your blessing on the bread and the cup as we partake in this most holy sacrament given to us by your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. You may begin to come forward.
let's um, partake together. The body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's, <clears throat> let's seal this sacred act by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trust against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Children, we are so glad that you were able to join us this morning. And now you can join your teachers and head on downstairs for your programs right now. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you.
presence his presence uh, that's what we need right so you hear people say I've tried this style of music and I didn't like it or I tried that style and I didn't like it but you never hear somebody said I tried his presence and I didn't like it <laughs> have you ever heard that not one time not one time have I ever heard that so why are we fighting about style uh-huh. am I preaching to the choir I don't hear any amens. Amen. Welcome to the worship of our God, where style doesn't matter. It's all about his presence. Amen? Amen. I, yeah, I have three people clapping. That's not good. Come on. For his name. For who he is. Amen. Hey, I have a good friend with me this morning that I want to introduce to you guys. This is my good friend, Beth Biggins. Welcome, Beth. I've known Beth for over 20 years. Um, I was actually a groomsman at their wedding. I know her husband, I know her kids, know her family. She flew in from Rochester, New York. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rochester, New York, to come in uh, and lead worship with me. She knew that I, my, I'm coming to my end at Hillside, and she took the time to, to come and just to celebrate with me. So please welcome her. She's a wonderful talent, and so she's here leading us this morning. Welcome her. One more time. One more time. 
Yeah, you know this one. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Every voice, come on. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. Come on. My weapon is a ta-da-da, ta-da-da, ta-da-da. I raise a hallelujah. Say, heaven comes to fight for me. Oh, and I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Open our eyes. Death is defeated. The King is alive. Second verse. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah. Oh, I will watch the darkness flee. In Jesus' name, I raise a hallelujah. In the middle of the mystery, I raise a hallelujah. You lost your hold on me. Oh, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. And up from the ashes, hope will arise. And death is defeated. The king is Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Do what it says, right? Sing a little louder. <laughs> oh, sing a little louder. Come on, church. Sing a little louder. Oh, sing a little louder. Try it. Sing a little louder. Now you sing. Sing a little louder. In the presence of my enemies, you sing. Sing a little louder. Than the unbelief, hey. sing a little louder. My weapon is a melody. Sing a little louder. Oh, heaven comes to fight for me. Sing a little louder. And I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Yeah, oh, louder and louder. You're gonna hear my praises roar. Open our eyes, and death is defeated. The king is alive. I'm gonna sing. 
thinking every great worship band needs three things. Two Garys and a Roy. Give it up for our Garys and Roy. At least at Hillside, that's what we need for some great worship. Uh, I heard a joke recently, and it's, uh, how do you know that God likes baseball? He was there at the big inning. Give it up for Rich Cordes. He taught me that joke. And I heard that joke at our men's breakfast last Saturday. We had a phenomenal time. Men, 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 men. I walked in. That's what I did. I walked in and I started going, men, men, men. No one picked up on that. But, but you know what we did pick up on was Tony Friday was there. And he just, before we ate, he started preaching at us and telling us to cheer for Jesus like we're cheering at a sports game. And it was awesome. It was great. It was a good, good time. And I hope you would join us if you weren't there. We had about 50 guys there this, this last Saturday. If you weren't there, we'd love to have you for the next one. I hope Tony, Fr Tony, will you be at the next one? Oh, yeah. Oh. So that, that was last week. Now looking forward a little, a couple things we want to tell you about. Uh, Holy Week is coming up, and so we have a couple things happening during that. You know, I thought about bringing like some Kit Kats up with me and like quizzing you. Maybe the next time I do announcements, I'll have some candy to throw out at you after, so, so we can hopefully remember some of these dates and times. Okay, let's get through it. Good Friday service, 7 p.m. on Friday. 
Okay, Good Friday service, 7 p.m. Our Easter services, we're going to 9 and 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And then all throughout that morning, we have an Easter breakfast happening from 8 to 11. So you get here at 8 a.m., have lots of breakfast, come to the 11 a.m. service. I don't know. Make a day of it. That would be great. So that's coming up for Holy Week. Uh, I am really looking forward to celebrating Easter as a hillside family together, especially after the last two years where we weren't really able to gather together. So it'd be good to be all in the same building celebrating Easter, the the risen Lord, together. Uh, To help make our sanctuary, our our worship center beautiful, a tradition that we do here at Hillside is we have uh, Easter plants for the memories of our loved ones. And so if you would like to have an Easter plant displayed up here on the stage, we have these yellow forms that you can grab out uh, when you first, the the information desk over there where all the coffee and snacks are going to be after the service, you can grab one of these and sign up. Let us know you want to bring a plant. We need these forms in. I need to look at the dates. We need these forms in by Sunday, April 10th. Sunday, April 10th, we need this form, and then by Thursday, April 14th, we need all of the plants inside of the church. That's why I wanted to bring Kit Kats, because there's a lot of dates coming, and I wanted to quiz you. Next time, okay, just imagine, I'm throwing out imaginary Kit Kats. Okay, I don't know why I went with Kit Kats. I should have done with Snickers, because they curb your hunger. Okay. Uh, Next up, we have our birdhouses. So these are our spring groups. We're going to start new groups meeting for our next sermon series. And more information is coming out April 24th for that. So if you're looking to join a group here at Hillside and you want to go through the sermon series together with a group of people, April 24th, be on the lookout for that. Also, another need that we have here at Hillside is we have an amazing, you know what else can't be pulled off on a Sunday morning? Our tech team doing all the video and audio and visuals. We need them. So if you have, if you have just a little smidge of, wow, that seems kind of exciting. If there's just a little smidge in you where you're like, I could run a camera, I could push a button and change slides. I could do that. We have a tech team expo coming up. We have, we'll get the date out to you as soon as possible, but put that in the back of your head. Next, we want to welcome, oh, this is fun. We want to welcome a new staff team member. His name is Matthew Smith. Matt, why don't you come on up here? And Frank, why don't you come up here? I'll wait for them to get on the stage. Hey, how are you? Hey, good to have you. Uh, Matt Smith and his wife, Olivia. Matt is our new office manager. Yeah. But we all know that his wife is really helping him pull off the job. We, so, so Matt will be the one, he'll answer the, cell, the phone now when you call to the church office, he'll be one of the first faces you see, and you'll see a lot of emails coming from him. We're really excited for Matt to be on the team and to get to know him and his wife better, and we're just excited that you're here at Hillside. So I have Frank Canova, he's the chair of our council, and he's just going to pray over you and your wife as you begin your journey here at Hillside. Why don't you guys come more to the middle over here, we'll surround you. 
and you guys can, uh, can pray with us. So, dear Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for Matt and Olivia coming into our midst. Um, we know that you will bless them. We ask that uh, our congregation just comes around them, welcomes them warmly, surrounds them with love and encouragement, because we know that they are going to bless us in return, Lord. Uh, we just pray that they settle well in the area, that they get to know it, um, that his uh, transition is smooth, that he learns a lot and just really plugs into all the needs that we have. And uh, just doing your work here with us together, Lord. So all these things we pray, we're super gracious that, uh, that Matt is here, part of the Hillside family. So all these things we raise up in your name. Amen. Amen. And now we're going to move into our offering. And so what I like to say is if you are visiting with us today, your presence is gift enough. But if you consider Hillside your home, we really appreciate you giving not to the church, but through the church. And we have a couple ways that you can give. You can text 84321 and, and give your offering through text. You can give on the Hillside app or you can drop off a donation in a basket back there. And your offerings, it just is blessing the mission of this church to be light in the world. So I'm just going to pray over our offering, and uh, we'll move on in our worship. God, thank you so much for all of the amazing gifts that you've given to us. And this is just a moment for us to pause and reflect and give back to you. So God, as you have been gracious to us, may we be gracious back in our giving. And I just pray that as these gifts come in, that you would continue to bless the ministry and work of Hillside Covenant Church as we advance your kingdom in the uh, community, neighborhood, city and state and world around us. So God, thank you so much for who you are, your love, your grace, and your mercy for us, all of the amazing gifts you give us in your awesome, awesome name. Amen. Well, we've welcomed Matt and Olivia, but it's time to say goodbye to some of our Hillsiders who are moving away. And I want to invite up uh, Kevin and Christina Shotwell. Would you join me up here? Come. I know you're not enough. You're, you hate being in the spotlight, but um, we want to say goodbye to you. And um, our um, Marcy Haas and Phil Kazada here. There you are. You're sitting right in front, and I missed you. Okay, that would be fine. <laughs> I'm going to come down with you guys. That's a good idea. You know, it's a joy to be with these folks, but is there such a thing as a sad joy? You know, kind of being feeling sad and happy for you at the same time. Yeah. So um, why don't you tell us where you are moving to, Christina? Uh, we are moving to the Covenant Village down in the San Diego. Great. That sounds nice. Wonderful place. We've been there visiting friends many times, and we finally made a decision to, this is going to be a future home, so. Good. We're happy for you. Kevin, when do you leave? I leave April the 11th. April 11th, coming right up. Woo, yeah. Wow. All right. Well, hold on. Let me talk to these folks over here. Phil and Marcy. Where are you headed to? Uh, we're leaving um, in a week, and we are moving to uh, the area of Ole, Pennsylvania, near Ooh. Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. I, I spent some time there. Good. 
And um, what's prompting the move? Let me ask Marcy. So I'm from the area, and we're moving home to help be there for my parents. Okay, great. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's a blessing for your parents, and it'll probably be a blessing for you too as well. Okay, good. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Okay, good. Father in heaven, we thank you for Phil and Marcy and for Kevin and Christina. We are deeply grateful for their time being part of our church family. We are better for their participation and presence. Please go before them as they prepare and travel to their new homes. Bless all aspects of their move that all would go well, super well. Would you bless them with new friends and a new church family also? And may they know that we will always be their brothers and sisters in Christ. And the people all said, Amen. All right. Thank you, and God bless you. Hillside will, Hillside will always have a very special place for us because we met here at Hillside. We were the first couple to ever marry, uh, meet at the bridge and get married. All right. <laughs> That's wonderful. What's that? The same for us. We met in choir. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a singles group here, you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming up, and God bless. He gives beauty for ashes, strength for fear. For morning, peace for despair. He gives beauty for ashes, strength for fear. Madness for morning, peace for despair. When sorrow seems to surround you, when suffering your head know that tomorrow brings, tomorrow brings wholeness, and wholeness and healing God knows your need just believe what he said he gives beauty for ashes strength for fear gladness for morning peace for despair he gives beauty for ashes Strength for fear, gladness for morning, peace for despair. When what you've done keeps you from moving, keeps on. You from moving on, when fear wants to make itself at home in your heart, know that forgiveness brings, forgiveness brings wholeness and healing. Wholeness and healing. God knows your need, just believe what he said. He gives beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for morning, peace for despair. He gives beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for morning, peace for despair. I want
set free. I've been made righteous in his sight. A display of his splendor all can see. I once was lost, but God has found me. Though I was bound, I've been set free. I've been made righteous in his sight. A display of his splendor all can see. He gives me beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for morning, peace for despair. He gives beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for morning, peace for despair. go ahead and pray together. Father God, we give these moments to you now, that you will touch our hearts with your word, use your servant, let your word go out with power, with clarity, touch our hearts. May we hear these words not so much for the next person, but for ourselves, and touch us today. Use our sister Becky. Um, we just bless her now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome our sister Becky. Good morning to those of you that are joining us online. We're uh, glad to have you, and especially a warm welcome to those of you that are visiting us today. It's our joy to have you. Well, last week at the luncheon after the service, my husband Jeff found out that he and another hillsider, Dave Miskovich, had something very special in common. They both proudly served in the United States Marine Corps. Those two talked. Those two guys talked all the way through the buffet line and then around the table about their time in the service. And Dave shared with us this picture of a dashing young Marine in his dress blue uniform on his iPhone, it was Dave. So if you see him today, where are you Dave? If you're here, if you see him today, ask him to show you the picture of himself in his uniform. There was an understanding of the sacrifice and the unique connection that happens between two people that have served in the military. We're gonna hear of a similar connection today of shared sacrifice between good soldiers of Christ from Paul's letter to Timothy. So over the past five weeks, Paul has given us six metaphors for the Christian in chapter two of his second letter to Timothy. The soldier who endures hardship and he's focused on pleasing his commanding officer. The athlete who completes and wins according to the rules. The farmer 
who works hard and patiently waits for the harvest. The workman, who's an approved laborer who has no shame because he rightly handles the word of truth. And last week, the vessel, who's cleaned for noble purposes and made holy to be useful for the master and his good works. And today, we'll look at the sixth metaphor, the servant, who is God's slave in his rescue mission to the world. Now, if you think about it, all of these metaphors for the Christian involve some sort of sacrifice and suffering. Paul writes this letter to Timothy to help him face suffering and opposition for Jesus and the gospel. Lent is a time for us to reflect on Jesus' suffering and his sacrifice on the cross. In our Lenten series, Strange Grace, we're also considering how we, as Christ's church, will suffer and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Before we dive into our passage in 2 Timothy, I want us to look at one verse. It's Colossians 1.24. It helps us gain some perspective on our suffering as the church and how we reveal Jesus' ultimate suffering on the cross. This is Paul writing to the Colossian church from a prison in Rome. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Why? Why is Paul rejoicing in the midst of suffering? He rejoices because he says he's filling up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Hmm, now let's be very clear. Paul is not saying that Jesus' suffering on the cross was lacking anything or incomplete in any way. Jesus' atonement for our sins is complete and we add nothing to it by our suffering. Hebrews 10.10 states unequivocally, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So how does Paul's and our suffering complete Jesus' suffering? Because the church is the body of Christ. And whatever the church suffers today can be thought of as Christ's continued suffering in the world. What's still lacking in Christ's afflictions is the ordained suffering of God's people as part of his redemptive plan. The suffering of believers in the body of Christ is divinely ordained to reveal Jesus' suffering to the world. Paul's giving us this big perspective of the church's suffering and of persecution. When we suffer for Jesus, we're making up for what's not seen yet by others of Jesus' suffering on the cross. Whenever we suffer for the gospel, we're helping to give the world a more complete 
picture of Jesus suffering on the cross for the world. This is why Paul is rejoicing in the midst of suffering. And this is the kind of suffering Paul is trying to prepare Timothy for and us for in this letter. So follow along with me if you have your sheets as I read 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is God's word. First, the good soldier of Christ will flee youthful passions. The NIV translates these youthful passions as the evil desires of youth, which I think more closely conveys the Greek word epithemia. The Greek word is a general term for all sinful desires, not just sexual immorality. Sadly, though, we've seen how Satan can wreak havoc in pastoral ministries and in marriages through sexual immorality. And Paul does command believers to flee sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians. But here, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul is warning us to flee all sinful, juvenile passions. You know what's interesting? Paul's not writing to a teenage Timothy. Timothy's the pastor of a church in Ephesus, and Acts 16 records when Paul first met a young Timothy. Commentators speculate that Timothy's age was anywhere from in his teens to all the way in his early 30s when Paul first met him. According to the historian Arrhenius, culturally, 30 is the first stage of a young man's age, and it extends all the way to 40. Another commentator said that the word youth is used for the grown-up military age that extend all the way to the 40th year. So regardless of what Timothy's age was when he met Paul, Paul was so impressed by this young man that he invited him to join him on his second missionary journey. Now Paul's first letter to Timothy was probably written about a decade after these two met. So that would make Timothy at the very least in his 30s when he receives these letters. So why? Why would Paul be telling this 30, maybe 40-something-year-old pastor to flee the evil desires of youth? Paul's warning Timothy and us, at whatever age we find ourselves at today, about the real danger of our own sinful, immature desires. How aware are you of your own sinful, immature desires. I saw some people drop their heads down during that. Okay. After all, we can't flee from a danger 
that we've never identified or refuse to see. Maturity is not the absence of these juvenile passions. It's the wisdom to recognize them in ourselves and then to run from them. We see in verse 23 that there's a particular kind of adolescent-like passion that Paul wants Timothy to flee from. It's the desire to quarrel or fight about foolish, ignorant controversies. Some translations call these controversies stupid. And the Greek word here is moros, from which we get the word moron. (laughs) As Timothy's spiritual dad and mentor, Paul instructs his beloved son in the faith, run, run from moronic disputes. Previously, in 2 Timothy 2.16, Paul had already warned Timothy against quarreling about words, describing this type of argument as godless chatter. Sorry about that, guys. We're having a little click here. This type of argument is godless chatter because those who indulge in them become more and more ungodly. Goodness. Participation in godless chatter and quarrels about foolish controversies is an immature indulgence that's valueless and ruinous. So church, you gotta run from them. So how do you recognize, how do you recognize a foolish, ignorant controversy? First, pay attention to any Holy Spirit warning bells or red flags that are going off in your conscience. Don't be too quick to dismiss that uh uh-oh feeling, but do be quick to fire off prayers for wisdom as you start to take a step back from these kinds of conversations. Godless chatter, God-less, is without God. Is it without God, without anything holy? So if you can't talk or listen to a conversation because it would offend God, run. Run like the wind. Second, remember Paul's call in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. In ungodly, moronic disputes. The word of God is not the foundation, nor will it get the last say in these arguments. So run. Sometimes correctly handling the word of truth is not throwing it in the ring with godless chatter, where it's not respected and won't even be heard. And third, if you're feeling a juvenile, competitive, angry, prideful desire to crush your opponent, run. (laughs) For your sake, for your opponent's sake, and for God's sake. Being a good soldier for Christ is not just running from youthful passions. It's It's also running towards holiness and godly virtues like righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, as a good spiritual parent, Paul knew that negatively warning Timothy to run 
being a good soldier for Christ, not just running from youthful passions, but running towards godly virtues, okay? So this pursuit of godly virtues, it's not meant to do alone. Did you catch that at the end of verse 22? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We must pursue virtues within community. Even though Timothy was a pastor, he still needed to pursue and grow in Christ-like character with other believers. One of the best ways to avoid sinful passions is to focus on pursuing godly ones with other Christians. Now, I'm a gardener, so this is going to be a gardening analogy. That word, breeding quarrels, has the idea of germinating something. Okay, so rather than germinating quarrels in the inane soil of controversy, we have a community garden to tend to. And together, we can grow and nurture the fruit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace with one another and in one another. Don't be deceived. You weren't meant to develop Christ-like character in isolation with you, Jesus, and your Bible. It isn't enough to just run from, situ from sinful situations or sinful conversations. We have to keep running towards opportunities with other believers where we can grow in holiness. You know, this flee-pursue pattern is something Paul really thought was essential for Timothy. He'd already admonished him to follow this pattern in his first letter. He wrote in 1 Timothy 6, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Flee soon, pursue righteousness, and fight the good fight. To win foolish arguments? No. Fight the good faith, fight of faith. Bible commentator Warren Wearsby summed up the balance of the entire Christian life in three words. Flee, follow, fight. Flee sin? Makes sense. Follow Jesus? Sounds great. But fight? We have been drafted into a spiritual war. Not only must we fight for our own faith, but we're called to fight for the faith of others. Paul clarifies who the real enemy is in Ephesians 6.12. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Now look back at our passage in 2 Timothy 2 and hone in on verse 26. As good soldiers of Christ, we are freedom fighters, for those ensnared to the devil and captive to his will. That's who Paul tells Timothy that he's fighting for and will suffer for. So we've been looking at our Lenten series through the eyes of a good soldier in relation to his commanding officer. But right here in verse 24 in this passage, 
Paul describes our service to the Lord as a slave or a bondservant. Now, most of us are probably pretty comfortable with the title servant as it appears in this translation. But the Greek word that's used here is doulos, which more accurately describes a slave who's been bought with a price and is owned by a master. The Apostle Paul refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ in his letter to the Romans and a slave of God in his letter to Titus. James also identifies himself as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in his epistle. So despite this very negative social status associated with being a slave, there's no apparent shame with being called a slave of God for these men. Now Romans 6 gives us some important insight into being a slave of Christ. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. For believers, we shouldn't be offended to be called slaves of Christ because it means we're no longer slaves of sin. These verses in Romans 6 reveal the spiritual reality. People are either slaves to sin or slaves to God and righteousness. Here's the beautiful paradox of being a slave of Jesus Christ. He died to set us free, free from the bondage of sin, free from death, and free from the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. Living as God's slaves reveals we belong to him. We represent him in the world. And we tell others of true freedom because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus said in John 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The title of our Lenten series, Strange Grace, is so appropriate because we proclaim to those who are still captive to sin and Satan, you will never be more free than as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. This is how we're light in the world, Hillside. We live out this beautiful paradox of being slaves of Jesus from whom we have received true freedom. We are fully liberated slaves of the master who bought us by the blood of his son. The Greek word for Lord is kurios, which not only means Lord, but it also means master and owner. Why would Paul 
put his exhortations to Timothy in the context of a slave to a master at this point in his letter. Paul knows that Timothy must be rock solid about his identity as he faces opposition and persecution. Especially as the young pastor of a church in Ephesus, it was crucial that Timothy be clear in his mind who he ultimately worked for and answered to, his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding Timothy who he belongs to and what it costs to save him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul uses this monetary language to describe the believer's relationship to God in Galatians 3 when he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What price did Jesus pay to redeem us? He gave his life on a cross. Romans 5.9 says we were justified by his blood. Verse 24 goes on to give us three characteristics of the Lord's slave. First, the Lord's slave is not quarrelsome, but kind to all people. Rather than being hot-headed and argumentative, God's servants are to be kind to everyone. Hillside, are we known for being kind people? Listen to the standard of kindness that Jesus expects of his disciples. This is from Luke 6, 32 to 36. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lending, lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You'll be acting the way children of the Most High act, for he is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. You see, Jesus' standard for kindness was his Father's kindness to ungrateful and wicked people. This is another reason why our series is so aptly called Strange Grace. As God's children, we're to emulate and we're to exude this gracious, compassionate kindness, not just to people who love us, but to people who don't love us and maybe even hate us. This is a gospel kindness. It's strange and it's foreign to the world. But this is how we show the world what the agape, sacrificial, unconditional love of God looks like. It's so, so kind. Paul describes the power and the intention of God's kindness towards sinners in Romans 2.4. God's kindness is intended to lead you to 
repentance. This is a powerful, supernatural kindness. It's a soul-changing tenderness and an earth-shaking meekness that's like Jesus's. Paul urges Timothy to correct his opponents with gentleness in verse 25 because he knows how powerful God's kindness is. Church, kindness is our superpower. It is what God uses to lead people to repentance. Well, a second characteristic of the Lord's slave is the ability to teach others about Jesus. Now, if you're checking out right now because you don't consider yourself to have the gift of teaching, or you think this passage only applies to pastors, tune back in, okay? This letter was probably read aloud to Timothy's entire congregation, and the word you in the opening lines of this letter is in the plural. So Paul's call to teach is for all of us. But if you're still not convinced by Paul, then listen to Jesus' commission in Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You have a co-mission with Jesus to teach someone in your life today. As a good soldier of Christ, who are you fighting for? You're fighting for someone who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Fight to show them the way of Jesus' kingdom with God's word and by fiercely loving them. Or maybe there's some believer in your life today who needs you to help them know and follow Jesus better. There are people in this room that have helped me know and follow Jesus better. Like me, there's someone here who needs you to help them know and follow Jesus. They need you specifically to mentor them and to teach them everything Jesus has already taught you. So whether you're a new believer or you're a believer who's walked with Jesus for decades, you can and you must Teach others the truth that God has entrusted to you. Paul said to Timothy at the beginning of this letter, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is an optional if, if God is truly our master and we're truly his servant, we're called to soundly teach the good deposit of the gospel that's been entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit. Who is God calling you to teach about Jesus today? Third characteristic of the Lord's slave, patience in enduring evil which the NIV translates as not being resentful. 
If anyone could tutor Timothy in facing opposition and enduring evil, it was Paul. It's believed that Paul wrote this final letter with his last instructions to Timothy from a dark, dank hole in the ground in the Mamertine prison in Rome. This prison was a holding place for prisoners awaiting trial and execution. In chapter 4 of this chapter, Paul will share with Timothy how all his friends had deserted him at his preliminary hearing. But listen to what Paul says. May it not be held against them. Here, Paul poignantly models this third characteristic of the Lord's slave by his lack of resentment over his friend's refusal to stand by him in his pretrial. You got a picture. A lonely, cold, aged Paul who pleads for Timothy to come quickly to visit him and to bring him his cloak and his books. It's this Paul. It's this Paul who writes, not just from his past experiences, but from his current suffering. He writes from his current suffering to tell Timothy that the Lord's slave must be patient in enduring evil. This was Paul's second imprisonment for preaching the gospel, and he sees his life coming to an end soon because he tells Timothy, for I'm being for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Out of love for Timothy and for the gospel, Paul spends his last days on earth preparing his protege to fight the good fight and to finish his race. Paul closes this second chapter on suffering as a good soldier for Christ by reminding Timothy of the reason for his suffering and for Paul's suffering. Every hardship that they would endure with patience, all the opposition they would meet with gentleness, and every risky opportunity they would take to teach the truth about Jesus is in hopes that God would sovereignly grant repentance to those who hear the gospel. Do you see that at the end of verse 25? God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. It is God who grants repentance. But as Paul is reminding Timothy and us today, the reason we suffer is to share the truth of the gospel so that Jesus can set those captives free. Paul describes our call to suffer as a good soldier like this in Romans 10. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone like us tells them? 2 Timothy 2.26 tells us that God uses the truth that we tell to bring captive people to their senses so that they can escape the snare of this devil. Hillside, we are on Jesus' ongoing rescue mission. 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and to point them to the cross. It's only through the cross that captive people are set free from sin and from death. It's a mission that's going to take us down the same path as Jesus is, through suffering, motivated by a desire to please our commanding officer and our master, and driven, driven by a longing for others to experience true freedom in Jesus Christ. As the body of Christ, we rejoice. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we get to fill up for what's lacking in Christ's afflictions in the world. Why? So that the world gets a living and a dying picture of how Jesus suffered for the sins of the world. As slaves of God, who were bought by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, we join the ranks of freedom fighters, suffering as good soldiers of Christ to set the captives free. Let's pray. Jesus, you, anoint, you announced your mission as proclaiming good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. We continue your mission. Grant your church the grace and the courage to suffer as you did to bring the gospel to the world. Amen. Has a place to lay its head So why would I let worry steal my breath Even the roses You have clothed in brilliant red Still I'm the one you
I can't hear you show me When I can't stand you carry me When I'm lost you will find me When I'm weak you are mighty Thank God that he gives us all that we need for life and godliness. Our prayer team is up front to pray for you this morning if you need prayer. The Bible says in Jeremiah 6 and 16, it says, The Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths and walk in it. Amen? Amen. All right, that is your benediction. God bless you as you go. Have a wonderful week.